Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris once more, and I welcome you to worship. Those of you in the overflow, those of you at the Franklin campus, we love you so much. We want you to jump in with us. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting a new sermon series this morning entitled, All You Need Is Love. All you need is love. We're going to be preaching now for several weeks out of one chapter of the Bible. It's sometimes called the love chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Usually in the course of a year or, or, or in, uh, in the course of any amount of time, I, I like to try to preach practically. I like to go to God's Word and speak very directly to you about relationships. In lots of years, I, I will do a marriage series or, or, or something like that, a, a family series, because as pastor, I often see that that is where a lot of us have most of our problems. Most of our problems are relationship problems, and so I want to bring Scripture uh, to bear upon that. I want you to understand that this is that sermon series. However, this is not specifically a, a, ser a sermon series on marriage or specifically a sermon series on, on parenting or family uh, or, or anything like that. It, it is all of that. It is all of that. We're talking about love. At Woodburn Baptist Church, our purpose statement begins like this. Woodburn Baptist Church is a, a family of Christians that loves. That, that's how we begin. A family of Christians that loves. That, that's who we are. That, that is who we're called to be. That, that is what we want to be. A family of Christians that loves. But understand something very, very important. When we say that we are a family of Christians that loves, we're not saying anything about the way we feel about other people. Do you understand? That, that statement of purpose, a family of Christians that loves, we're not saying anything about how we feel about people. We're talking about how we treat people. And if you understand that distinction, then you're ready for 1 Corinthians 13. We're not talking about how we feel about people when we say we're a family of Christians that loves. We're trying to say something about how we are going to treat people. Start with me in the scripture, 1 Corinthians. We're going to back up just a little bit. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, so you get a sense of where this scripture falls in a, in a larger uh, letter that Paul is writing to the Christians at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Go all the way back to there with me, and we'll read through the first part of chapter 13. Listen to the word of the Lord. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, and those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages, those who speak in tongues. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I should speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
Take your seats. A while back, one of my charismatic friends came by the office to visit me. He uh, is a great man, and I love him as a brother, and uh, he came by to do something wonderful for me, and I love him for that. He said that God had sent him to me that particular day, and he said it was awkward uh, and in some ways embarrassing for him, but he just wanted to do something out of obedience to God. He said that he had been at our church, and he had heard me preach, and that God had shown them that I was lacking one thing. Okay, this is our first clue. God knows I'm lacking a whole lot more than one thing. <laughs> I'm lacking a lot of things. But he said that, that uh, there was one thing I was lacking, and that God had sent him to me that day to help me receive something that, that, that God wanted me to have. Now, now, let me be real honest with you. That this brother and I are, are, are different. He, he values things differently. He reads scripture a little bit differently, but he is my brother in Christ, and I love him. And I love the Lord. I want you to know that. And I want you to know that if there's anything God wants me to have, I want to have it. So, so in this moment, I'm just going to be open. And I, I promise you that. On that day, I, I was just open. I just said, whatever it is, brother, whatever you've come to give me, whatever God wants me to have, I, I want that. So he said, God has sent me to bring to you the gift of healing. I said, okay, okay. And so he said, I, I just want to pray for you. And I, I said, fine, brother. And so he, uh, he put his hands out like this, and he asked me to put my hands on top. So, so I did. I put my hands on top. And he said, I'm going to pray, and you may start to feel a little bit of heat. That's what he said. You may start to feel a little bit of heat. I'm thinking, cool. You know, that would, be, that would actually be kind of awesome. So, so I, I put my hands there, and, and we start to pray, and, and he prays. I'm telling you, if God wants me to have something, I want to have it. I understand that. But he prayed for a long time, and he said, now, now you may start to feel some heat. Are you feeling it yet? I said, no, brother, I'm not, I'm not feeling any heat. But we prayed, and we continued to pray. And he said, is it getting warm yet? I said, no, no, brother, it's not getting warm yet. And he continued to pray, and, and I, I felt bad for him. I just felt bad for him because it was awkward. He came out of complete obedience to give me something that, that he really thought I should have. And he really felt like God wanted me to have. And it just didn't happen. Are you feeling anything, he said? I said, no, I, I'm not. I, I'm telling you, I, I love him for what he came to do. I, I really do. And in a lot of ways, I feel like him today. Because as pastor and as preacher of the word, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm seeing something here in the scripture that you really need. You are people that have a lot. You have a lot of gifts. You, you actually have a lot of wealth. You have a lot of talents. You're an amazing congregation. But honestly, reading scripture... If there's anything in the world that you lack, I, I think it's this one thing. And I think it might be the very most important thing. So if you would, take your hands and put them over your heart right there. Will you put them over your heart? You may start to feel a little bit of heat. I wish you would. Because we're talking about the very most important thing in the world. 
the very most important thing of all. And I feel like God has sent me to you. I feel like God has opened the word for us this morning so that you might have something that you're lacking. Something very, very serious that you're lacking. Are you starting to feel a little heat yet? You see, Paul was in the very same situation with the church at Corinth. Because the church at Corinth was just an amazing place. And I'm asking you to read the scripture. Read 1 Corinthians uh, in the process of our going through this series together. Read the whole book. This is an amazing church. And some of you might have been uncomfortable at Corinth. But I promise you, I would probably have liked Corinth. It's just an amazing kind of church. When you read the letters of Paul in the New Testament, he's usually writing to real churches, and they're different. Uh, churches are very, very different from one another. Most of you have visited enough churches to know that. And Corinth was probably the, the, the most different of all. Right in the beginning of his letter, Paul praises the Corinthian Christians because he says that it's obvious that they have all the gifts. They are just blessed with the treasure of spiritual gifts now, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about the, the spiritual life that, that we as Christians live. And the reality and the promise from Scripture that when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And when the Spirit comes to live inside of you, he brings something with him. He'll bring some sort of gift. There's something that you will contribute to the body of Christ, something that you will contribute to our worship. There's something that makes you uniquely important in this church. That's just the truth of it. Now, I know some of you struggle to believe that, but I have no trouble believing that. Every single one of us has a unique gift that the Spirit gives us, and we're supposed to turn it on when we come together and engage those gifts to bless one another. That's just what the New Testament teaches. And Paul says at Corinth, he just thanked God they had all of the gifts this place was happening. These believers were on fire. And I'm telling you, I would have probably loved worshiping at Corinth. Worship at Corinth was electric. It was amazing, obviously exciting. Nobody slept at Corinth. You just couldn't do it. They had people getting healed. They had people speaking in tongues. They had men and women both prophesying and praying. It must have been awesome. I would love that. Honestly, I love worshiping here, but now let's just be honest. This is a church you can sleep through. Y'all prove that. You can sleep here, and honestly, sometimes it just doesn't seem like our worship catches fire in the way worship always caught fire at Corinth. Man, I remember the old days at Woodburn when I was your music minister, and I used to stand in front of you, and I would often close my eyes. You know why I would close my eyes? Because sometimes it was just too depressing to look. Oh, oh, oh my goodness, I, I love this church so much, but I'm telling you, uh, we still have a distance to come in, in worship, a distance to come in just letting the Holy Spirit take control of us and set our hearts on fire for him. We've got a ways to go, I've got a long way to go myself, but at Corinth, I'm telling you, they were there. When it comes to worship, when it comes to the spiritual gifts, they were on fire, absolutely on fire. But there was one problem with this place. And honestly, it's a problem they didn't think much about, but Paul thought a whole lot about. And this is the primary reason that he's writing this letter, 1 Corinthians. He really wants them to understand something. 
for all that you have, for all the gifts that you practice and enjoy, for all of your speaking in tongues and healing and prophesying and all of the jumping and shouting and dancing you do in worship, there is something that you lack, and it is not a small thing. It's love. It's love. You speak in tongues, you heal, you have all of these marvelous gifts, but you don't love. And it's the truest thing you can say about the church at Corinth. They have no love. This is the most divided church you've ever seen. Worship may have been absolutely electric, but it would have been a nightmare to be in this church. They stayed up late at night and got up early in the morning to figure out new ways to divide themselves from each other, to embarrass one another. They had no love. They didn't love each other. They didn't love anybody else. And that is no small thing. If you have a church that has no love, you have a church that has serious, profound problems. I will go on to say, if you are a Christian, if you are a person that claims to be a Christian, and yet you have no love, you have serious problems. It doesn't really matter what else you do. It doesn't matter what else you can claim. Read the scripture. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am nothing, he says. I am nothing. I'm telling you, in the Christian life, there are many things that matter. Going to church, it matters. Going to church matters. And giving an offering, I'm telling you, it matters. Tithing matters. It seriously does. But being good to your neighbors, it matters. All of these things matter. Supporting missions, that matters. But I'm telling you, there's one thing that matters more and matters most of all. And if we lack that one thing, then everything, we else, to, everything else we do amounts to nothing. Nothing. Of all the things that matter, love is the thing that matters most. Love matters most. So what is it? The defining love is always something of a trick. What is love? It's hard for us to define because honestly in our culture we are so surrounded by misconceptions and perversions to be honest. What our society, what most people you know consider love is not what scripture defines as love. And you've really got to start getting some of this straight in your mind so that you can live as a Christian. Are you hearing me? You've got to get this straight in your mind what love actually is. You're surrounded by misconceptions and perversions. I guess one of the greatest perversions these days in our day is the idea that love is some sort of addiction. If you listen to popular music, if you listen to poets and people who talk, they often speak of love as addiction. One of my least favorite theologians, Kesha, her song says, your love, your love is my drug. Yeah, your love is my drug. Well, what is she saying? What does that mean? It's this idea, and it's a false idea, but it's this idea that love is somehow like a, a drug. It's something addictive. It's something overwhelming, something I have no control over, something that captures and fascinates and, and entraps me in this ecstatic way. Your love is my drug. Your love is some sort of addiction for me. I'm telling you, that's not love. That's not what love is. Love is not something over which you have no control. It's not addictive. 
If you really want to know what real love is, you always look to God. You look to the God who is love. And God's great love is not addictive. It's not an obsession. To reduce it to something like that is to make of love some sort of sad perversion. Genuine love is not an addiction. It's not like a drug. It's not like an obsession. You hear the people say, I can't live without you, honey. I can't live without you, sweetheart. Honestly, that's not exactly love. It's something else. I'm not saying it's always bad, but I'm telling you, when you think of love primarily as some sort of obsession, some sort of addiction, you're way off track. It's a perversion. Genuine love isn't like that at all. Other people these days, when they say love, they mean control. There's some people that think of love as, as control. And this is where, honestly, some of us begin to, uh, to fall in right here. Your idea of love is where people do what you say or where you're able to control or, or manipulate people. That's how you think of love. And some of us, the relationships that have been called love, the family relationships, the dating relationships, were never about genuine love at all. It's about control. It's about manipulation. Have you ever dated that guy? Have you ever, ever gone out with that girl? I'm telling you, we're not talking about love here. We're talking about something crazy. It's not love. It's something sick. I'm telling you, it's not love at all. But some of us have been trapped in relationships that were called love. But it was really more about manipulation. It was more about control. Now, love is not a feeling. I'm going to say that a whole lot here in the moments to come. But understand, love is not a feeling but it does have something to do with feelings. And if you're in a genuine, loving relationship, you ought to feel loved. You ought to feel cared for. Now, I remind you, love is not predominantly feelings. But if you're in a relationship where somebody loves you, where somebody actually loves you, you're going to feel loved. You're going to feel cared for. I've had the woman in my office who says, I, I know my husband loves me. I know he loves me. And I'm thinking, by what evidence would you say that? Maybe the night he got drunk on your anniversary and laid on the couch. Maybe all of those days when he calls you stupid. Maybe the day he grabbed you by the hair because you shrunk his jeans in the wash. Are we saying he loves you based on this evidence? Did you understand? Genuine love is not about manipulation. It's not about control. If you're in a genuine loving relationship, you're going to feel loved. You're going to feel loved. However, love's not predominantly a feeling. This is probably the greatest perversion in our culture, honestly, the greatest misconception in this church, that love somehow is a feeling. It is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Now, this scripture right here, 1 Corinthians 13, called the love chapter. Understand, this is honestly one of the most beautiful, one of the most clear descriptions of love, true love, genuine love. And if you read closely, you will quickly understand there's not a feeling word in here. Paul writes the entire chapter about love, and he doesn't say a darn thing about feelings. Not one single thing. We're not talking about how you feel. We're not talking at all about how you feel. We're talking about how you treat people, and that's different. It's altogether different. 
Love has less to do with how you feel about somebody. It has everything to do with how you treat somebody. Love is not feelings. Not feelings. So so what is it? In this long discussion of spiritual gifts, understand Paul inserts this chapter. In the discussion of spiritual gifts, Paul inserts this chapter on love. Is he saying that love is a spiritual gift? No, love is not a spiritual gift. It is nowhere called a spiritual gift. It's not like speaking in tongues or having a gift of healing or a gift of prophesying or a gift of helping others. It's not like that at all. It is above that. It is much above that. Love is not just another spiritual gift. Now elsewhere, Paul will refer to love as a fruit of the Spirit, as the top, the chief fruit of the Spirit. And I think we're getting warmer there. But notice here, in the end of chapter 12, right before he begins the great love chapter, he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Most of you know the King James where it says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. We usually translate the word Paul uses there as as the word way. But honestly, the word is hodos. It's a Greek word, and it just means road or path. So for Paul, love is not just another spiritual gift. It's certainly not a feeling. Love is a path. It's a path for your life. It's it's a road that you travel. You could say that it is a way. Love is a way of being in the world. And I would say it is the uniquely Christian way of being in the world. Love's not a gift. Love's not a feeling. It's not a drug. It's not an obsession. It's not an addiction. It's not control. It's not manipulation. It is a way of being in the world. Paul says, I want to show you the most excellent way. And then he talks about love. So what is love? Will you take out some paper, take out a pencil, write this definition down, because I'm going to quiz you on it for the next few weeks. I want you to get this definition. There's nothing profound here. I just want you to get some words and some ideas in your head so that you can think about love in a biblical way. Definition of love right here, and we're going to talk about this a lot in the coming weeks. Love is the power. Love is the power. Love is power. Do you understand? The definition is going to get longer, but I'm going to park right here a second. Love is power. It is power. It's not feelings. It's not addiction. Love is power. It is uniquely Christian, and it comes from God. Love is power. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships to give, to give, Without expecting anything back. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships to give without expecting anything back. Brothers and sisters, love is power. It is power. I said that as pastor, I frequently preach on relationships. I do that because, honestly, that's where most of your problems are. It's where most of your problems are. 
in a congregation the size of ours on any given Sunday, we have a lot of troubled marriages in the house. And on this particular Sunday, I can say it truthfully, we have a lot of troubled marriages in the house. You probably have a lot of ways of thinking about your troubled marriage. You're probably thinking that it's a financial problem, and it probably has a financial component, I would say that. You're probably thinking that your trouble is in your marriage, it's a sexual problem, and there's probably a sexual component, I I will grant that. You're probably thinking it's a communication problem, or it's an anger problem, and and there may be all of those components. I'm not saying that those things aren't there, but I want you to understand, your marriage problem is a spiritual problem. It is a spiritual problem. All relationship problems are spiritual problems. The relationship problems that you have at work, these are spiritual problems, sir. Did you not understand that? Now, most of us, honestly, we don't even see this. Those of us who struggle the most with love in our lives, it's almost as if we we have a blind spot. We don't always see that, that the problem is somehow in us, a spiritual problem within us. Most of us who really struggle with relationships, we walk around thinking it's everybody else's fault. You just tell yourself, if people wouldn't get on your nerves, if they wouldn't drive slow, or if they just listened to you, if everybody would listen to you, this is how you think. You just have this problem of always managing to think that the relationship mess that you live in all the time is everybody else's fault. Listen, if everywhere you go, you have problems getting along with people, I'd start thinking that the problem is you. Do you understand? That the problem is you, sir. It's you. I'm telling you, if you're always in conflict at work, and you're always in conflict at home, if you're always in conflict everywhere you go, do you not understand? This problem is you. It is not that everybody else in the world is messed up, and you're the only one who is right. Come on, get serious. The problem is you, and it's a spiritual problem. Ma'am, are you listening? The, The problem is you. Of course you've got marriage problems. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why I am the way I am. I'm just like my mama, and she was just like her mama. I'm just like my grandmama. I just say whatever I think. That's just me. I just, I'm just honest is all. I'm just honest. No, you're not honest. You're mean. You're mean. Do you understand? It's not honesty. Your mouth is mean. And in relationships, your spiritual problem continues to bleed out. Do you understand? To understand relationship problems of all kinds, they're spiritual problems. The problems you have with kids at school, the problems you have with people at work, the problems you have with your crazy uncle, do you understand? They are all spiritual problems because love is a spiritual power and love is what you're lacking. Love is what you're lacking. If you're in this house today with troubled relationships, a troubled dating relationship, or a broken relationship with a brother or a sister, understand the answer is right here in the scriptures, and I would go so far as to say it's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a spiritual problem of yours, and love is the answer, and that love comes only from God. It only comes from God. The scripture says, beloved, let us Love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves knows God. The one that does not love does not know God because God is love. You understand? God is love. And those who know God know love. It's power. It's power. All of your relationship problems are spiritual problems. 
the fact that you cannot live a life that's characterized by love, the fact that you continue to live in a nest of broken relationships, this only points to a brokenness in your spirit. This is a faith problem. It's a spiritual issue. You don't know God very well. You don't know God. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships. As we walk through 1 Corinthians 13, I want you to understand, this is for real life. This isn't just something that we talk about at church. It's not just some ideal that you can never, ever reach. You are supposed to live this way. You are supposed to live a life that is absolutely characterized by a supernatural power from outside yourself, and it's called the love of Christ. You're supposed to live like that. You're supposed to live like that every day. The people in your family should feel love coming from you. They should be impacted by the force of Christ, which comes out in loving behaviors from you. Love is power. It has to do with the way you treat people. But understand, that's good news. It's good news. Love is power, and that's good news. Because when you read 1 Corinthians 13, when I read 1 Corinthians 13, often it just feels overwhelming. Love is patient. Love is kind all the time. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Are you kidding me? Love is never rude. Oh, come on. It is fun to be rude sometimes. You're kidding me. Love never, ever rejoices in in anything other than the truth. Come on, get, get serious. All the time, every day. I mean, you look at the standard that the Scripture raises before us, and your first response is going to be, I can't do that. I can't be patient all the time. Have you seen my kids? I can't be patient. Do you know my wife? Do you know where I work? Do you understand what it is to be a high school student? I probably don't, but the Lord does. Do you understand? It it, it feels overwhelming when you look at all that love requires of us. When you see that to live the Christian life means to live a life, an utter life of love every single day, all the time, morning, noon, and night. How can we do that? I mean, you read it, and it just gets overwhelming. My goodness, and it just begins to make you feel guilty. I don't know if I can ever do what love requires. I don't know if I can ever live like Christ. I don't think I can be that kind of Christian. This is what I'm saying to you. Love is not just obligation. It is an obligation as a Christian. It's not just duty. It is your duty as a Christian. It's not just a command to be obeyed. It is a command to be obeyed. Jesus says this is how the whole world is going to know that you're a Christian if you have love. It's a command to be obeyed. Don't get me wrong. It absolutely is a duty and an obligation. But understand, it's power. It's also power, which is to say that love gives me the power to do everything that it commands me to do. It's not just that love says i got to be patient. Love makes me able to be patient. It's not just that love says, you got to forgive, buddy. you got to forgive and you got to forget. It's not just that love says that. Love is the only power in the universe that's going to make me able to forgive. You understand? It's not just that the scripture says, be ye kind one to another. It does say that. But love is the power that takes over my life and makes me kind. It's not just command, it's not just duty and obligation, it's power. 
And honestly, it's what some of your lives are lacking. You're phenomenal people. This is a phenomenal church. You have such gifts, such talents, such abilities. You're all such good neighbors. But I'm afraid there's a power that's, that's lacking in your lives. It's, it's the most important thing. Of all the things that Christ wants to do for us, this is the thing that matters most of all. Do you notice what the scripture says? If I could speak with the tongues of men and angels, but, but I don't have love, I am like an, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Notice, notice what the scripture says and does not say. It doesn't say, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, then, then my tongues are worth nothing. That's not what he says. He says, I am worth nothing. If I sacrifice everything I have, if I empty my whole person in the offering plate, if I gave my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I am nothing. It doesn't say my offering is nothing. It doesn't say my sacrifice is a race. It says I, I am nothing. Do you understand that you call yourself a, a Christian, but then you don't treat people as Christ would treat people. You don't walk in love. You are diminished. You are a spiritual nothing. As pastor, I feel like God has, has put me here because he wants you to have something. And honestly, it's a little bit embarrassing and awkward because it's not mine to give. But I would do anything. I would do anything if somehow you would begin to be overwhelmed with the power of love in your life. This is what you're lacking. It's not just a marital problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's not just a problem in getting along with other kids at school. This is a, a spiritual problem. It's not communication. It's not anger management. It's love. And if you don't have it, Scripture's pretty plain. You must not know God. So put your hands over your heart right here. Are you feeling it yet? Are you feeling it yet? Pray with me. God, this is the busiest church in America. We have so much going on. We've got missions going. We've got youth group burning it up. We've got children's ministry and Bible school on the way. You can't even put on the calendar everything we've got going this summer. We're busy, busy people. We've got singles running to and fro, working, dating, having a ball. We've got married couples trying to make ends meet, going at it, raising kids, going from ball game to ball game. Lord, we move in a thousand directions. 
But if we have no love, if we can't walk in love, if we cannot live in love, then we can hardly call ourselves Christians. If we have everything that this world has to offer, but we do not have love, oh God, we're nothing. We are nothing. In our fine homes, driving fancy cars with a picture-perfect family, Lord, if there's no love, we're nothing. But Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the hope and the promise from Scripture that that love comes from you. And everyone who knows you and loves you is going to have your love flowing through their lives. Lord God, that's what we want. With our hands across our hearts right now, Lord, that's what we want. Your love flowing into us, your love flowing out of us. Lord, I pray, God, help us. I pray that those in our lives, those around us, will know that we are Christians because of our love, because of the love flowing through us, the mighty force that makes us patient and kind and forgiving, the loving force that makes us never rude and never resentful, Lord, that loving, powerful, mighty force that flows out of your heart and into our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way you love us. Now, Lord Jesus, we ask you to make us able also to love. We pray these things in your loving name. Amen.